Welcome to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. And uh, tonight is a special episode where uh, we've had this debate planned for a long, long time. Tonight, the proposition is, is God's word most effectively preserved in the King James Version of the Bible? So um, in the studio, we have with us Travis Rennick. You might remember him from a past episode where we talked about scriptural issues uh, with him. So he's uh, back with us tonight. And then also um, we had Nate. Nathan Rager with us last week to introduce himself. He's on the line with us tonight as well to debate this proposition. So, um, no housekeeping, nothing uh, getting in the way of that. We are going to dive straight into this awesome debate tonight. So, with that said, Dave, All right, take it so away. First thing I have to do is my son gave me this t-shirt. This is his YouTube page. He wanted me to give him a shout out, so I did. So, I have now <laughs> won a point as a dad. Bingo. Uh, with that said, we jump right into this. So, if you are listening along, if you're in a place you can grab a piece of paper. I would encourage you to flow along on this debate. By that I mean write down the arguments that one debater presents and see if the other one will follow those up. It's a very simple way to keep track of what's going on and a way to go back. And again, one of our goals is for individuals to listen to the arguments and decide for themselves. That's why we have two different positions that are fundamentally opposed to one another. Now, they're both brothers in Christ, but they definitely have a different position and they're going to have a lot of clash. And so we want to challenge everyone who's listening to write down the arguments, go and do some research, listen to some of the sources that they cite, do what you can to make sure that you've done your homework. So before that begins now, before we jump into the debate, let me just give you a few pieces of how we're going to do this debate. Again, the proposition is this, resolve the word of God is most effectively preserved in the King James Version of the Bible. Now, our format is really simple, and you can see it on the screen right now. We're going to begin the debate with Nathan Rager presenting the affirmative case. He is going to argue for the proposition. After that occurs, his nine-minute speech, then, of course, Travis will cross-examine him for five minutes. After that, uh, Travis will give a 10-minute constructive speech for the negative, and then Mr. Rager will cross-examine Travis. Now, one thing about cross-examination is they're going to be asking each other questions. That means that when Travis cross-examines Nathan, he's going to be asking the questions. Nathan will respond to them. And then, of course, when Nathan asks the questions during his cross-examination, Travis will respond to them. After that, then we go to the rebuttal time. During the rebuttal time, Mr. Rager will begin by rebutting or refuting the arguments that Nathan that Travis puts forward in his constructive speech. Then Travis will get to rebut the affirmative constructive speech. After that, we're doing something that we really enjoy doing on the Tag Your It podcast, and that is the open dialogue. Um, at the beginning of that, both Adam and I will ask a few questions. We will, again, try to direct one or two to each of the debaters, and then the two debaters will get a chance to respond to one another in a less structured format. Now, we are going to ask each of the debaters not to monopolize the time, but to, again, focus on the arguments and then, of course, be respectful to one another. After that 15-minute opening dialogue, we'll go to the negative closing statement, and that is when Travis will make his final appeal, followed by Mr. Rager's six-minute 
final appeal, his closing statement. Now, if you've noticed, Mr. Rager only has nine minutes at his constructive point. If you look at the bottom, he gets that minute back during his affirmative. After that, we want to invite everyone to send in questions during the debate, but be sure to direct them to a specific debater. And at the conclusion of the debate, we'll have a question answer session. Direct those questions to a specific debater. That debater will get one minute to respond, followed by the other debater getting 30 seconds to respond. So with that said, uh, we're going to jump in and let the two debaters just introduce themselves. And we'll begin with Nathan just introducing himself, then Travis will introduce himself, and then Mr. Rager will jump into his case. So Mr. Rager, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, hey there. Uh, my name is Brother Nathan R. Rager. I am the preacher and church planner at Independent Baptist Church of Tarpon Springs, Florida. We're a brand new church plant in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, if you're anywhere near, we'd love to see you. We meet every Sunday afternoon at 2.30 p.m. at the Quality and Conference Room in Tarpon Springs at 38724 U.S. Highway 19 North. We're a King James only, church hymnal only, strong preaching, soul winning, leather long separated, independent fundamental Baptist church uh, that loves the book, that loves souls, and will preach a devil out of you for your own good. Come on and be with us. Travis, go ahead and introduce yourself real quick. I'm Travis Rennick. Uh, I am a member of uh, First Baptist Church Buffalo, just north of Springfield, Missouri. Uh, a recent member of the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network. Uh, love the Lord, love His Word, and uh, love studying and talking and sharing with others about Him. I noticed my son just jumped on. So, hey, Jonathan, boom. Everyone should check out his YouTube page. <laughs> so, guys, uh, thank you uh, for uh, taking your time. I mean, from the outset, from the, us, the moderators, and Taggart Podcast, yeah. and everybody um, watching out there. Thank you guys for taking. I mean, it's been a few months. So, thank you for your time, your diligence, your study, and everything that you've brought here tonight. Because this is what you've uh, been working for. So, let's, uh, you know, on the outset, Soli Deo Gloria. Um, to God be all the glory. And that's what this is all about tonight. So um, with that said, I think we can start the debate. Yeah, Mr. Rager, if you want to give your thank yous, and then when you jump to the case, let me know so I can start the timer. All right. Yeah, I appreciate uh, y'all having us uh, here. Uh, uh, Adam and David, it's been an absolute pleasure. Travis, got a real pleasure getting to know you. Good to know another working man. So that's, uh, that's a good thing. All right. And uh, I'm ready to start when y'all are. All right. Yes. Yeah, so we so we hear so much in the critical text arguments about going back to the originals, uh, going back to the older sources. So let's go ahead and first talk about where that came from. Uh, the the person, the people who originated that idea would have been Westcott and Hort, who were originally hired to revise the King James Version to bring it into late 1800s language. And uh, they deviated from their stated hiring mission, and they decided to create a whole new New Testament uh, with a whole new textual basis. And uh, they had to hide some of their views, they said, according to Ort, uh, until the work was actually published, until they got away with it. Uh, in fact, Westcott... Uh, based his views uh, on modern criticism, on denying 
Uh, and he viewed Genesis 1 through 3 as an allegory. He attributed Bible authorship to somebody besides the stated author. Uh, he said Darwin was irrefutable. Uh, he conflated Jesus' worship and Mary worship, said they were both equally beneficial. He said the priests could be mediators between man and God. And Westcott and Hort were viewed themselves as the appointed successors of John Henry Newman and the Oxford School, trying to bring England and the Church of England back to the Roman Catholic Church. On their committee was uh, Dr. Scrivener, who published a rebuttal to them, and in it he published this rebuttal and said that their assertions had no historical basis. Their theories had no historical basis. What were their theories? Their theories were that they had to go back to the original older documents, uh, which were the primarily Codex Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus. Uh, and uh, Dr. Bergen explained why these were appearing to be older manuscripts, as in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, Paul discussed the Gnostics who were waging attacks on the Bible and putting out corrupt writings. And in fact, uh, as the papyries were discovered later on, uh, the papyries that supposedly proved the critical text, in fact, also include the texts of the Gnostic Gospels, such as the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, and the Gospel of the Truth. Uh, now, uh, there was a uh, pastor, uh, Frank Logston, who wrote the foreword for the North American Standard Bible, and he later recanted that foreword and said that he was going to be judged by God for his association with the work, and he denounced uh, the critical text as, an, as a Jesuit attack on the Bible to undermine people's faith in the Word of God. And uh, even further than that, that is a proven fact. It was Cardinal Mai who met with uh, Constantine von Tiskendorf, but right before he found the Sinai manuscript. It was also Cardinal Mai who was the Vatican librarian who uh, first publicized and put forward the Vatican manuscript. Uh, Cardinal Martini was a Jesuit priest who was active in the critical text process with uh, Nestle Aland as well as translations in the uh, ecumenical translating committees. Uh, Kurt Aland uh, of Nestle Aland fame uh, met repeatedly with the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, he sought to have a Bible that was uh, agreeable to everyone. In the translation of these critical texts, uh, you had Eugene Nida, the father of dynamic equivalence, who taught yearly a course on translation at the Jesuit seminary in Rome. And even going further in Eugene Nida's work was a key translator on the national new international version, or as I call it, the new intersectional version, Virginia Mullencott, who was a lesbian pastor activist for the National Council of Churches that produced a great watering down of biblical gender roles and sexual morality. And finally, the last point I'm going to make here is we suffer from 
a, an epidemic of bad Greek scholarship today. The King James translators, there were 47 experts who spoke Greek, debated in Greek and Hebrew. They knew Latin. They knew Syriac. They were fluent in these languages. And they all had conflicting interests, conflicting theologies, and conflicting agendas, and each checked all the other's work. By contrast, uh, today's scholars uh, do not for the most part, even speak the language. They claim that uh, ancient Greek is a dead language, but they claim to be experts in it. All translators, all language experts uh, in any other field will say that you have to speak the language to be fluent in the language. Uh, they, they, they use concordances and lexicons and, and memorize uh, grammatical issues and certain words. They, there are really no great uh, sources of Greek scholarship today. Uh, so I ask you this, uh, do you want to believe the Bible that was given to us from the Reformation that gave us the great revivals of the 1700s, 1800s, or do you want to believe uh, the people who did not believe that? Do you want to believe the Catholic Church who would kill us for reading this Bible? Uh, and quite frankly, if it just compare the texts, the King James Bible is based off of uh, the Byzantine type manuscripts that agree 99% of the time. And they just had to sort out issues relating to uh, uh, things that could just any typos, miswrites, whatever that could accidentally work its way into a line. That's why they accumulated different Bibles from all over the world. Uh, by contrast, there were only there were over 5,000 Bibles in Syriac, Latin, Greek that were used by the King James translators. Uh, Westcott and Hort just used primarily uh, the Vatican and Sinai manuscripts, and Nestle Alon's primarily uses the Weymouth, the Tiskendorf, and the Vatican works. Uh, this is an open and shut case, folks. Uh, this is tried, tested, and true. In Psalms 12, uh, God promised to preserve his word. The, wor the words of the Lord are pure words, and he'll preserve them forever. God is not a liar. I believe him. But the devil, by contrast, asked Eve, Do, did God say? Did God say? You know what? I say, yes, God said, and that's why I believe the King James Bible. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Rager. You did leave a little time there on the on the table, but uh, I'm going to go ahead. We are not going to uh, move that time to the end. We hadn't really talked about that. Uh, that now does give Travis a opportunity for five minutes of rebuttal. Again, I will give a one minute verbal and then a thirty second verbal, and I'll begin right when you start. Okay. Okay. Uh, Mr. Rager, I'm going to ask some questions, and for the sake of time, I ask that you limit your responses to a few words unless I ask for further explanation. Uh, if there's something you'd like to address further, I ask that you do that during your rebuttal time or during our time of open dialogue. Is that okay? Uh, sure. All right. Uh, is the King James Version inspired? Inspired? Do you mean the actual words inspired, or do you mean a providential hand over the translators? Inspired? Is it God breathed? Uh, there was certainly a providential hand over the translators uh, in guiding them. I mean, there was so no. So is new that a yes or no? 
there was no new special revelation given uh, to them. There was no new special inspiration given to them. Okay, so I, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to take that as a no and move on to my next question. Uh, is the King James version inerrant? The King James Bible is perfect. Yes. Uh, do you consider the King James version to be superior to the manuscripts we have available now? What manuscripts? All manuscripts we have available now. Oh, uh, well, most certainly they would be uh, superior to, to many. Okay. I, I'd have to look at actual manuscripts themselves. Okay. Uh, what edition of the King James Version do you hold as the authoritative Word of God? I know the context of, uh, of the claims that there were revisions in the King James Bible. Uh, there were certain typos that were made in the 1600s in the prints. Uh, the only actual revisions made were, to, were for okay. fonts. Which version do you, which, which edition do you hold? Sorry, I'm trying to make sure we can move through all my questions here. The, you, the one that the one the one that's on sale now the so, one that you can buy so the 17, 1769 blaney is that what you hold to right okay uh who's the authorizer of the king james version uh the authorizer is uh king james and i would say king jesus okay uh how many books are contained in the king james version 66 okay uh, which edition of Erasmus do you suggest is the authoritative edition? None. They had to be sorted out by the by the translating committee. Okay. Uh, was Desiderius Erasmus an inspired prophet of God? No. Okay. Uh, do you affirm the 1978 Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy? I haven't read it. Okay. Are you familiar with the Granville Sharp construction? No. Okay. Uh, you referred to Dr. Virginia Mullencott in, in one of your YouTube videos and in your opening as being a lesbian on the translating team of the NIV. Uh, are you aware that she did not serve as a translator, but only as an English language consultant for the NIV, and the NIV publishers removed any parts of her work from the NIV when she came out as homosexual? You can still certainly see the imprints of her work on the on the NIV. So you're not aware that they removed all things that she worked on. Okay. Uh, are you aware that no less than nine letters written from Desiderius Erasmus to Servatius Rogerius, which was another monk, have been identified by scholars as romantic in nature? Uh, what was that? Are you aware that no less than nine letters written from Desiderius Erasmus to Servatius Rogerius, who was a monk, have been identified by scholars as romantic in nature? romantic in nature i i i don't know anything about that okay Ugh. do you affirm the doctrine of transubstantiation transubstantiation no way okay one minute you stated on the tag Grit podcast last week uh that you believe all modern versions to be catholic friendly and soft on sodomy and generals uh do you have a proof text for those claims Yes, uh, in fact, uh, look up the word sodomite in the Old Testament. Uh, you will find uh, changes to things like perverted okay. no, ones. No specific chapter and verse, though. Okay. Uh, do you you do believe in different text types? Correct. Thirty seconds. There are different text types. Yes. Okay. Uh, 
in 30 seconds or less, can you tell us the uh, origins of the TR, which you have less than 30 seconds? So I'll let you close that out. Yes, yes. There were over 5,000 manuscripts that were accumulated to sort out the uh, very minor differences between the different editions of the Texas Receptus. Time. And that is time where Travis has his 10-minute constructive. And when you begin, let me know. But go ahead and say your thank yous okay. if you'd like to, and just let me know when you get to the case. Just a quick note, Mr. Rager, I hope you didn't think I was being rude to you cutting you off. I just wanted to make it through all the questions there. Uh, uh, but good evening to everyone. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Dave, uh, those listening and watching. And thank you, Mr. Rager, for the opportunity to have this discussion tonight. I do call it a discussion because I'm not here tonight with the goal or hope of winning a debate. Uh, I'm here to defend the Word of God in all the ways God has preserved His Word and hopefully to challenge all who hear this discussion to consider the information we will be sharing and to dig deeper into understanding why you believe what you believe concerning what is and is not God's holy word. So let's get to my points for discussion. Uh, in order to help clarify my case and to assist in the depth of content in the debate, I would like to offer the following definitions for consistent use during our time of debate. The Word of God refers to the originally inspired words of God found in the 66 books of the Protestant canon. The phrase most effectively preserves means that means to have most adequately accomplished the purpose of preserving and preserving the original words inspired by God and spoken or written by prophets, apostles, and Jesus Christ himself. And when saying King James Version of the Bible, we refer to the original 1611 King James Version. For debate proper purposes, I offer the following weighing mechanism. The criteria for evaluating the debate will be that of preponderance of evidence. Mr. Rager will need to prove based on evidence that the biblical theology presented in the 1611 King James is superior to the biblical theology presented in all other translations and in the underlying Greek and Hebrew manuscripts now available. To be clear, I'm not here to defend a specific version of the English translation of the Bible as Mr. Rager is. Of course, I do repudiate openly corrupt translations of the Bible, such as the New World Translation and the Joseph Smith Translation. However, I'm not restricted to any one translation of God's Word as my opponent is, for which I truly do not envy Mr. Rager, for he certainly has a monumental task ahead of him. What must happen tonight for Mr. Rager to be successful is that he must demonstrate that all other translations come up short in presenting a cohesive biblical theology compared to the original text and that the King James more adequately aligns with the original text. Biblical theology is defined by Nick Rourke and Robert Klein as an approach to reading the whole story of the Bible while keeping our focus on the main point of Scripture. Scripture, Jesus Christ. So tonight, the audience needs to understand that this debate is covering the most important topic of Scripture, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Since the Lord is the pinnacle and pivotal high point of Scripture, for the King James to be the most effective preservation of God's Word means that Mr. Rager must demonstrate systematically that the picture of Christ and comprehensive narrative of Jesus' life is objectively more exhaustive, accurate, and complete in the King James. So this debate is going to focus on the total preserved content of the originally delivered message of Scripture being unsurpassed in its presentation of Christ in the King James. This means that any content added that is not part of the original manuscripts is not added to the translation, and nothing originally put forward can be deleted. Can the King James Version do all that? We shall see. As we move to case proper, it is important to understand from a debate perspective that the burden of proof rests with the affirmative position. Mr. Rager must prove his position based on the clearly divine proposition. If Mr. Rager does not like my definitions, then he needs to prove them inadequate. But at the end of the day, it is his burden to prove that the Word of God is most effectively preserved in the King James Version of the Bible. With that in mind, I offered the following points for consideration. My first point is no argument at all. 
but a non-argument against the King James Version of the Bible. I'm not here to disprove the King James Version of the Bible as the authoritative Word of God. On the contrary, I love and support God's Word as presented and translated in the King James of the Bible, and I declare them to be true and to uphold and display God's revelation to man. I celebrate the translation as an amazing achievement and a true blessing to the world, but we must ask if the vast manuscript discoveries that have taken place in the last 500 years help us to have a more close picture of what was originally said by Christ, the apostles, and the prophets. With that said, I hope none of our listeners are hoping to hear me attack the King James Bible because... That is not my intent or goal tonight. As a matter of fact, in my earlier years as a Christian, I too supported the idea that the King James was somehow superior to other versions for many of the reasons I am confident Mr. Rager will offer us tonight. However, after more study and less blind following of ideas like it's what we've always used and don't fix it if it isn't broken, I came to understand the flaws and some outright lies proposed by many of the more extreme King James onlyists. That said, I also want to note that there are several different levels of King James onlyism, varying from a simple and harmless. I just don't like the King James the best for my own reading, but I don't deny other versions as God's word. To a very harmful, you cannot be saved if you use anything other than the King James. Dr. James White identifies five different levels in his book, The King James Only Controversy, which I would strongly recommend to all of our listeners tonight. I don't believe my opponent tonight falls at either end of that spectrum but does represent a majority of King James-only individuals and that he has been misled by false teachings of those who are or have been chief proponents of this ongoing controversy, such as Peter Ruckman, Tex Marsh, Gail Ripplinger, and Stephen Anderson, to name a few. My second point is that of translation techniques and advances in understanding languages. Mr. Rager will also need to provide substantial evidence to prove that the translating techniques and rules applied by the translators of the King James are more accurate and effective in communicating the Word of God in English than any other English version in history. In accuracy, he must demonstrate that the intent of meaning by the original written Word of God is best given by the King James. In effectiveness, he must show that those intended meanings of the earliest writings are best understood by an average reader today when reading the King James rather than any other translation of God's Word. Mr. Rager must also adequately refute the Granville Sharp construction. Now, my third point for tonight is the necessity to deal with older manuscripts that have more recently been discovered. Since 1611, archaeologists have uncovered numerous manuscripts. In 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were uncovered near the ancient settlement of Qumran. This trove of manuscripts consists of eight to 900 manuscripts, with some dating back as far as 2,000 years old, according to many historians, both secular and Christian. The King James underlying text does not include any of these man- manuscripts. One might ask if the textual cohesiveness of the 1611's underlying text would not better be supported if the Dead Sea Scroll manuscripts were consulted. Obviously, consulting manuscripts written prior to the underlying text of the King James would provide a better foundation for getting closer to what was originally written. Mr. Rager must, however, defend, reject this idea based on his position. In many cases, others holding my opponent's position resort to conspiracy theories concerning these older manuscripts. They will claim that these older manuscripts have some type of heretical origin. However, as you will always find in these type arguments, these are theories at best and have no valid arguments for evidence to support them. If these manuscripts were to be tried in a court of law for heresy, they would certainly be found not guilty simply for a lack of evidence. You will also find that there, are li- that there lies an incredible support for these older manuscripts as they display extreme cohesiveness with all other manuscripts and have been tried extensively by experts as to their authenticity and accuracy. The only scholars who have attempted to discredit any of these manuscripts are those who, 
those who have done so in an attempt to stand on a presupposition which declares the King James Version as the standard for all Scripture. And my fourth point is that the standard for measuring the modern versions must be the same as for measuring the King James. As we all know, there is a standard for measuring all things. For us Christians, we must submit that the standard is indeed the Word of God. When determining what standard is to be used in identifying what the Word of God is, we have no choice but to submit to the oldest and most reliable manuscripts we have available to us as the standard. I have no doubt that Mr. Rager will try to suggest to you that the standard should be set as the King James and all other manuscripts and translations should be measured against it to determine accuracy. Of course, that is subjective rather than objective view and leans on the much favored logical fallacy of circular reasoning, which I do reject. So if you hear Mr. Rager use terms like missing, removed, deleted, and added, understand he is operating from a flawed position, which has presupposed the King James Bible is superior to even the oldest manuscripts available to us today, rather than proving the claim based on manuscript evidence. And my fifth and final point is regarding the work of the King James Version and its revisions. The original publication of the King James Version in 1611 was not perfect and was not claimed to be perfect by its translators. To cite just one initial error, there were King James Bibles referred to as he Bibles or she Bibles due to the typographical error which rendered the word she as he in Ruth 3.15. Obviously a simple printing error, but a mistake nonetheless which shows the imperfection. The original King James Bible contained the 14 apocryphal books which remained as part of the King James until the 1880s. The King James continued in print as the original without change as the authorized version until the revisions made in Blaney's 1769 revised edition of the 1611 King James Bible. In that revision, Blaney made over 20,000 grammatical and spelling corrections and over 400 word changes. So we must ask, how did the perfect and inerrant word of God, as is proposed by many King James onlyists, stay in print for 158 years without any correction and then have over 20,000 corrections? Also, we must ask, how did even that corrected version remain in print for another hundred years with 14 non-canonical books included? One minute. As, as a matter of fact, it was not the King James which removed the Apocrypha first, but the first of what has been called modern versions known as the English Revised Version of 1881-85. That was the first Bible to print the scriptures without the Apocrypha in the English language. So, should we understand that Mr. Rager and other proponents of the King James Onlyism would desire that we include non-canonical books of Scripture? If not, then they must drop the argument of the King James being foundational English translation for almost 300 years before the modern versions. For indeed, the King James Version they support was not printed until after the first of the modern versions was published. Let me do a quick summary. I'm not against the King James only, but there are false teachers in the King James movement. Translation techniques and methods have improved and the Granville Sharp construction must be addressed. Older and more reliable manuscripts are available which the King James translators and Erasmus did not use. The circular reasoning of King James onlyist must be rejected. The King James was not historically viewed as inerrant and the Apocrypha is not part of the Protestant canon. All right, thank you very much, Travis. It is now time for Mr. Rager to give a, excuse me, to have a five-minute rebuttal. Remember, Mr. Rager will be asking the questions, and Travis will be answering. Mr. Rager, whenever you are ready, go ahead and start, and I'll start the timer. All right, so, uh, Travis, do the originals still exist? No. Uh, and uh, also, do you believe that there is any such thing as a Bible in any language uh, that's complete and spoiled? 
Uh, Mr. Rager, could you, I've paused our time. Could you go ahead and ask that question again? You kind of broke up. Did we lose Mr. Rager? We might have to pause. Oh, there he is. Okay, am I back with you? Yes, yes sir. sir. Go ahead and ask your question. I want to make sure that we get that question out. Your time's been paused. I want to make sure that you get it out. So go ahead and ask, sir. Okay. Uh, okay, so Travis, do you believe that there is any such thing as a Bible in any language that is complete, inspired, and inerrant? No. Okay, uh, then in that case, uh, what exactly uh, is the foundation of your faith? Uh, how can you know positively for certain that God said? Can I go back to your previous question? Did you say translation or did you say? No, I said, do you believe that there's any Bible? Do you believe that there's any such thing as a Bible in any language that is complete, inspired, and inerrant? Sorry. I misheard you. Yes, I, be I believe that the original Greek and Hebrew texts were inspired and inerrant. And I believe we have copies that contain it? that. Where can I find it? Uh, I believe it, in the manuscript tradition that's available to us today. We have over 5,000 manuscripts Where is the website? Available. What's the book? Uh, it's not a book. It's manuscript tradition. It's copies. Uh, is which of does Nestle do any of Nestle Alon's twenty eight editions uh, qualify? I'm not an expert in Greek. I would I would not be able to tell okay, you that so specifically you by text. Me, so you cannot refer to me to any single Bible that you believe is the complete, inspired, and inerrant Word of God. Okay, and uh, also, uh, do you uh, do you believe that the spiritual state? Uh, and the doctrinal state of a of a theologian has any bearing on their qualifications uh, to participate in textual translation or uh, textual criticism? In so much as their gifting in, in handling languages, uh, I believe it can bear a weight. I certainly do believe it can. Okay. And uh, also, uh, you mentioned uh, the cohesion of the texts. Mm -hmm. uh, considering there are 3,000 uh, differences between the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus, which are the primary texts of uh, just about all the modern perversions, uh, what, what exactly uh, system would you recommend to sort that out? And uh, what Bible do you believe uh, I can read to base my faith off of a know all the answers to what God said. I believe you can read in the King James Bible. I believe you can read the, the new King James Bible. I believe you can read the CSB, the ESV, the NIV. Would you like me to keep going? But which one is right? I believe they all display a cohesive biblical theology as I laid out in my primary points. Okay, then uh, tell me this. Uh, Whenever Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, do you before that, uh, whenever the Ethiopian eunuch asked what he had to do to be baptized, do you think Philip answered his question? Uh, could you give me a chapter and verse and allow me to pull that up? Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Uh, depending on what Bible you're using, it's probably not even in there. Okay. It was probably deleted. Well, I would certainly reject that term as I already laid out. Was it in the original well, manuscripts? Well, uh, so with the Catholics and the Presbyterians, because they don't believe in biblical baptism. So, 
So would you would you say that that I'm sorry I can't ask you questions. What I'm going to say is if it's not in the in the modern versions, I'm going to say we lean on scholarship who has declared that it's not in the originals, and you'll find it in the footnotes. One minute. Uh, do you are you saved or are you being saved? Both. Okay. Well, are you saved yet, or are you planning on getting saved in the future? I am saved, and it's an ongoing oh. process that the Lord does as He declares in His Word. Uh, be, uh, either you're saved or not. It's not an ongoing process. Uh, also, in First uh, Corinthians six nine, uh, do you believe that the abomination of being effeminate refers to uh, certain qualities of an individual, or do you believe that God is describing homosexual sex in the most perverse terms with a detailed breakdown? I believe it's so great that you brought that verse up because in the CSB it so much more clearly lays out homosexuality as a sin than the term effeminate in the King James. So you're telling me that God uh, disobeyed his command and he's speaking of those vile things which are done in private? Time. You may answer the question if you'd like. I didn't understand this question, but if it's okay, he can go ahead and re-ask. Go ahead. You re-ask, yeah. Since you're at the so, time. Are you, so are you telling me that uh, rather than using the term effeminate, that God is violating his own command against speaking against those th vile things which are done in private and giving a graphic, detailed description of homosexual sex and which person does which part? No, absolutely not. I don't agree with that statement at all, but I would like to read it to you out of the uh, CSB, if that's okay, since you brought it up. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be dece deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. I don't think you can more clearly define homosexuality than that. And I think that's much more accurate in definition of homosexuality than the term effeminate that we find in the King James. With that said, well, we are now moving. In that text, uh, we, but okay. we are now moving into the affirmative rebuttal. So, Mr. Rager, you have seven minutes to rebut the negative constructive speech. Again, I will give you one minute verbals and thirty second verbals. I will begin when you start speaking. Uh, okay, so you said, uh, how long did you say I have for the for the rebuttal? Okay, all right, uh, I'm ready when you are. All right, so uh, I know many people attack this source, which is why it's interesting. Uh, pastor Stephen Anderson went over to Cyprus with a Reformed Baptist pastor, Dane Johansson, uh, to do soul winning uh, in the Greek language. They were able to put in the hands of Greek teenagers, Greek tattoo artists, Greek people who were speaking Greek as a second language, the Koine Greek, and they were able to read it just fine and understand it just fine. Uh, even Dane Johansson ordered his meal in Koine Greek, and the waitress understood it just fine. By contrast, uh, top Greek scholars were handed a test of basic Greek words and they could not answer. Uh, they say Greek is a dead language, but that has been proven uh, patently false. Uh, now, I am glad to hear that you say that the person's spiritual state has a bearing over uh, if they're qualified to be a translator or a textual critic. 
Uh, but that being said, James White, uh, who was the intellectual leader of the movement against the King James Bible, uh, will actually disagree with you there. He likened it to uh, when he was having uh, a heart issue because he's an older athlete that he didn't care if someone was a Christian when they worked on his heart. He literally views uh, spiritual things as, uh, quite frankly, uh, like working on in the medical profession. Uh, and also, uh, that being said, there are certain key verses uh, that do most definitely impact doctrine where the King James gets it right. Uh, in Matthew 5.22, uh, uh, Jesus said that you're in danger of judgment if you're angry uh, with your brother without a cause. Uh, but most of the modern perversions remove the term without a cause, and uh, in which case it even makes Jesus a sinner at times. Acts 8.37 is completely uh, deleted from many of the modern perversions and thus removes the greatest mention of believer baptism and also causes Philip not to answer the question of the Ethiopian eunuch. In 1 Timothy uh, 6.15, uh, it is stated that Jesus is the one and only potentate. Uh, many of the modern perversions change that to one and only sovereign, and in so doing, they remove a greatest, a, one of the greatest condemnations of the papacy, uh, which, by the way, uh, the, uh, there are Catholic study Bibles available in the NIV, RSV, uh, and ESV, uh, but none in the King James Bible. The Roman Catholic Church does not want you to have this King James Bible. Uh, also, in uh, Matthew 6, 7, uh, it is stated that, uh, that there is a warning against uh, vain repetitions in prayer like the heathens. That text is changed uh, to the word pagan, uh, in many of the modern perversion, and thus so doing, uh, it uh, helps give the Church of Rome a free pass. In John 7, 8, uh, what we see is that Jesus told his uh, brethren, his disciples, that he was not going to Jerusalem yet uh, in the King James Bible. They removed the word yet in uh, many of the modern perversions, and thus so doing, it makes Jesus a, a rebel against the law, and thus unqualified to be a savior, and it also makes him a liar because it later says that he did go. Uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 1.18, uh, it talks about uh, our blessed hope uh, being so good to those who are saved and uh, not to those who are perishing. But by contrast, uh, the... Uh, modern perversion say being saved. You know what? I know I'm saved. I have blessed assurance, and I'm not going to let the modern perversions attack my salvation. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, <clears throat> it's not a discussion of being a homosexual. It's, a it's not a discussion of former perverts being in the church. It's a discussion in context of uh, that the people in the church are more qualified than the people in the world uh, to uh, judge things, uh, so not to go to the criminal courts. 
Uh, abusers themselves with mankind could refer to nymphomaniacs, former prostitutes, a female version of a whoremonger, someone who's shacked up. But by contrast, many of the modern perversions will actually assert uh, that instead of uh, being uh, condemning being effeminate, that it is giving a detailed description of which queer is on top and which queer is on bottom. And that's just filthy. It's disgusting. And that's the kind of filth that, uh, that only someone who has a perverted mind would come up with. Uh, and also, that being said... Uh, in the abomination of being effeminate, uh, whenever you have uh, worship leaders or church leaders that, that show feminine qualities, of course you would have a vested interest in having a Bible perversion deletes that. And uh, also to take it a step one further, Romans chapter 1 describes how homosexuals get that way. They knew the truth of God. They hatefully rejected the truth of God. Uh, so God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That means that they could not be saved and be in the church whenever they become a full-blown sodomite, completely embracing and being given over to all perversion, all filth. I mean, and, and that is clearly stated in Romans 1, in which also that being said, uh, Romans... Also, that being said, they removed the word reprobate from, uh, the, from Romans 1, attacking uh, this doctrine as well. Uh, and also, in the Old Testament, they, uh, most of the modern perversions removed the word sodomite and replaced it with temple prostitute or perverted ones to water down the condemnation on homosexuality. Uh, and all of that said, uh, I will just real quickly add that, you, Travis, you mentioned typos having to be corrected in the 1769. You proved my point right there. Uh, the fact that they had to fix typos uh, proves why the King James Bible is perfect. They were able to get all the text together and sort out these errors in the King James, and then they had to go back and t only had to fix typos and centralize spelling and font. The King James Bible is perfect. It's tested and true, and there's no Greek scholar qualified to overrule the findings of the King James translators. Amen. Thank you very much, Mr. Rager. I appreciate your spirited rebuttal. We are excited to continue on with this debate. We now will yield the floor to Travis. Travis, you have seven minutes of rebuttal speech. I will be sure to give you one minute and 30 second uh, verbal warnings. I will begin when you begin speaking. All right. So uh, as I laid out my case and I clearly identified my points uh, for Mr. Rager to address, uh, I'm going to assume that he accepted my definitions as he did not uh, rebut those. Uh, he did not address biblical theology and the cohesiveness of the biblical theology that is laid out in all of uh, God's word that is laid out in many of the modern versions that I already mentioned. Uh, so I, I'm going to uh, assume that he accepts that statement. Uh, false teachers and King James onlyism. He started to mention Stephen Anderson. Interestingly enough that you bring that up, Stephen Anderson actually in his debate with Dr. James White actually declared that he was a low-level Greek uh, student, that he only had a few years of Greek in Bible college and that he was not qualified to debate the Greek text. He, he said that to James White. You can find that on YouTube uh, on the either Stephen Anderson's website or the Alpha Omega website. Uh, 
<clears throat> as far as addressing older manuscripts now available, uh, one of the things that Mr. Rager brought out was he said that there was over 5,000 texts consulted by the King James only list. That's just inaccurate. Uh, they had uh, what later became known as the Textus Receptus. Uh, I don't know the exact number. If I remember correctly, it was about 13 different texts they had available to him. Plus, they consulted the Tyndale New Testament. They consulted the Bishop's Bible, the Geneva Bible, the Matthews Bible, uh, and I, the Reims Bible, which is a Roman Catholic translation from the Vulgate, the Latin, back into the English. That's what the King James translators consulted. They did not have 5,000 manuscripts before them. Uh, as far as uh, the biased standard for setting the King James as authoritative, uh, I've heard no response to that. Uh, the flaws of the King James, uh, he says, okay, we fixed the, uh, the, the typos, okay, the 20,000 grammatical errors. What about the 400 word changes? What about the apocrypha that existed and was maintained even longer than the, than the first modern versions? That was still held to by the King James. Uh, you say that Dr. James White started the King James only controversy. Or that he, he was the first to push back. Uh, you also indicated that Westcott and Hort were the first to uh, do textual criticism and, and make that an issue. Uh, that's just not true. As a matter of fact, Robert uh, Estine, known as Stephanus, edited Erasmus' Greek Testament uh, four times. The third and most respected of his works published in 1550 was called Editio Regia, or the Royal Edition. And in 1707, John Mill reprinted that text, and he reprinted it unchanged, but he noted over 30,000 textual variants in the index. Uh, Daniel Whitby shortly came after, took great offense to that. He said that was an attack on the New Testament, and he subsequently claimed that there had never been variations in the text, and he equated the autographs or the original text with the Textus Receptus. Uh, he ignored the multiple variations, including all the changes made by Erasmus himself during his five editions. He ignored Stephanus's change uh, in, in his editions. Uh, and, and all that said, uh, no, textual criticism started in 1707, and it was a popular thing then. The translators themselves noted tons of notes. If I, uh, I've got it highlighted, maybe I'll get to it in our open discussion time. But the translators themselves noted that, that it was important to note textual variants in the uh, scriptures and to allow those of the common mind to make a decision and trust in the Spirit to lead them in understanding those textual variants. So even the translators of the Bible you're holding to disagree with what you're saying. Um, also, as far as the text, you ask, is there a full and complete uh, edition of the Bible? Yes, there is a full and complete edition of the Bible. We have a huge manuscript tradition available to us. Uh, yes, is there variance within that text? Yes, uh, but I'll phrase it this way as Dr. James White did. He said we've got a, a, a thousand piece puzzle and we have a thousand and one hundred pieces to work with. Is God's word within all of those manuscripts? Yes. Are there additions in some of those manuscripts? Yes. Do I believe some of those are in the Textus Receptus? Most definitely, the comma Johannium was not even in Erasmus' first edition, and it did not come into Erasmus' text until his third edition. Now that is found in John or First John five seven and eight. That cannot be traced to any text except for those of Latin origin and nothing prior to eight hundred A.D. 
Uh, it is not in any of the oldest manuscripts. It is not to be found in any Greek manuscripts prior to Erasmus. Um, so, so yes, do I believe that there are some things that weren't original? Yes, I do. Uh, the Greek and Hebrew text, uh, the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the Greek of the New, those are what the translators called the golden pipes or the conduits whereof the olive branches empty themselves into the gold. That's the wording of the King James translators. They determined that uh, that nothing was to be considered authoritative other than the original. As a matter of fact, they uh, proposed previous translations that it was necessary to make changes, and they recognized that no translation is perfect. Uh, I asked you about the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, and this is Article 10. Now, this is a statement put out in 1978 by some of the most profound evangelical Christians, not just Southern Baptists, not just Independent Baptists, but evangelicals in it all in all, and, and some, some very big names in that. And they said in Article 10, we affirm that inspiration, strictly speaking, applies only to the autographic text of Scripture, which in the providence of God can be ascertained from available manuscripts with great accuracy. We further affirm that copies and translation of Scripture are the Word of God to the extent they faithfully represent the original. They almost copied that word for word from the preface issued by the translators of the King James because they held to the same state statement. That said, I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 1.18 and the term being saved. That is not talking about someone who's already been saved. That is talking about the current action of Christ continuing to save people on the earth. That is not talking about one individual. Uh, that's just not the text there. I uh, don't have time to get to your other stuff. Maybe we'll get to that during our open dialogue. All right. Thank you very much, Travis. Really appreciate it. I want to thank everyone who is participating online. We've got some great questions. Mm -hmm. want to uh, encourage you all who are watching online to be sure to keep your questions kind of brief for us so we can get them to them. Uh, we've got a lot of questions for Mr. Rager. Be sure to send us a few more for um, Travis, and we will do our best we can to get to all of them as best we can. Uh, really appreciate all the interaction we're doing. Now, just as a brief reminder, kind of the way we do the open dialogue is like this. Uh, both Adam and I will take a few minutes to ask a few questions, and then we're going to kick it off to you guys. And I'll begin, or I'll let Adam begin with uh, his series of questions, and then I'll follow it up because I'm also trying to keep track of our questions from the audience. And again, we've got like 50 questions already from the audience. So with that said, Adam, take it away and I'll hit start. All right. Well, um, just like it is, it's popular. Nathan is very popular this evening uh, with the questions. And so I'm going to start off with him. Anyway, um, you said that God can preserve his word and that's, you know, it gets into the KJV thing. So um, I'm going to do the other side. If God can preserve his word, can he preserve his word in an eclectic text, not just one single text type? Uh, that would be God is not the author of confusion. I mean, uh, if if God promised to preserve His Word, we would know what His Word was. All right, and I guess I have a follow up to that one anyway. If He can preserve His Word no matter what, um, in that, uh, just one more question for me. Um, so He can preserve His Word even in an eclectic text, and He would make sure that people. Um, that were that had the Holy Spirit in them could discern um, what is his word from an eclectic text 
quite frankly, I mean, uh, the fact the fact that the NIV is the top selling Bible uh, in the country uh, would prove that. I mean, the Holy Ghost doesn't always choose to reveal it to everybody. All right, Dave. With that said, I'm going to go ahead and get my questions to Travis. Travis, during the debate, Mr. Rager pointed out a issue in Acts chapter 9 regarding the interaction of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. That's not the only place where we see something like that happen. Also in John yeah. chapter 5, where the gentleman is waiting outside of the pool of Bethesda, there is also a verse removed. What are your thoughts on those verses removing, and why is it okay to do that? Well, a couple things. Uh, one, I, I, I reject the term removed. Uh, I think they have to be find, found to be sufficient evidence that they belonged in the originals before they could be included. If we're going to use the term re removed, then I'm going to use the term added uh, because I can say we'll just as quickly that the King James translators so. added them. Uh, but that being said, um, we have to test to the originals. So I'm not a Greek scholar. Stephen Anderson says he's not a Greek scholar. Uh, Dr. James White is a Greek scholar. Uh, he does <laughs> fluently speak in it as uh, Mr. Rager said that they needed to be able to speak in it, and uh, I, I assure you he explains every single passage of text right here in his book. Uh, it's not found in the most in, in either the majority text or in the oldest, most reliable text as scholars have uh, deemed them to be. That's why it's not there. And I'll have one follow-up, and then we're going to kick it back to you. Um, one of the things that Mr. Rager has pointed out, Travis, and I think he's done so very, very effectively, is he's noted that when verses are missing, that devalues the overall uh, picture that we get concerning the biblical theology. Is there a place in the modern text that give us a better picture of biblical theology that the King James Version of the Bible doesn't have? Uh, yeah, we can we can talk about that briefly. I've got it. Uh, one of those that I already brought up was in the, uh, I, I've mentioned a term, the Granville Sharp construction a few times. So if we look in Titus 2.13, and I'm going to go ahead and pull this out if you don't mind, and just, I'll try not to eat up too much time on this, but I think it's important to bring that up. So Titus 2.13, and I'm, I'm going to ask Mr. Rager, since I know he's got his King James open there, I'm going to read it in the... Uh, in the CSB, and I'm going to ask him to read it in the King James, if that's okay. Uh, so, Titus 2.13, uh, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and if you're there, Mr. Rager, would you mind reading that out of the King James for us? Titus 2.13? Yes, sir. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, did you notice uh, the the separation there? Uh, let me explain this just real shortly. Uh, I don't want to take up all our time. But essentially, the Granville Sharp construction is something that was not discovered until 1778, even after the Blaney's uh, uh, revision. Uh, Granville Sharp's rule basically says that when we have two nouns that are not proper nouns and are describing a person and those nouns are joined by the word and with the first having the article the while the second does not, the two nouns are referring to the same person. Now in Titus 2.13 here, the King James 
uses the phrasing and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That gives a strong indication we're talking about two different people. If you notice in all the modern versions, they're going to say the, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, comma, Jesus Christ, indicating it is talking about one person. And, and any, any English uh, scholar will tell you that that's how that would apply. Uh, why is it not there? Do I think that King James wanted to deny the deity of Christ? Of course not. I don't believe that. Uh, but I do believe that due to uh, understanding of languages, understanding of how translation works, that uh, the, the textual critics and the modern scholars got this right, and, and it does display a better presentation of the deity of Christ. You'll see the same thing in 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1 and a few other places throughout 2 Peter. Sorry to take so much time on that. All right, Mr. Rager uh, and Travis, we just want to kind of throw things over to you. Just ask that you don't monopolize the time, and the rest of this time is yours. If you will all both be, uh, again, kind to one another as you move through the rest of the time we have in this open dialogue. Uh, I first want to clarify something you mentioned about uh, the interview with uh, the Stephen Anderson and James White. That was about 10 years ago. Uh, uh, Pastor Anderson is actually a... Uh, a professional translator, fluent in many languages. He, he'd be what you refer to as a polyglot, and he did learn to speak Greek. He is fluent in Greek now, and uh, he says he reads daily his Greek New Testament, and he went over to Greece, was having fluent conversations in the Greek language, uh, which uh, James White just studies what he claims is a dead language, Greek, and uh, and he said that he wouldn't even encourage anyone to do that, uh, to learn Greek, because he said it's a dead language and they all know English anyway. So basically, he wants to speak Greek to English speakers, but he wants to speak English to Greek speakers. Uh, my church is in the largest Greek community in America. That's, uh, that's not going to cut PETA. Uh, <laughs> all right, and uh, anyway, so that being said, uh, now, do you? I have a question for you, Travis. You, mm -hmm. you mentioned you very often appeal to scholarship and mm -hmm. uh, and scholarship consensus. Uh, does does it bother you at all the fact that uh, that there was much more of a scholarship consensus uh, in the wake of Westcott and Horton in favor of my position? So you're saying that there's more scholars uh, against Westcott and than there are for them. Is that what you're getting at? Right. The so-called scholars were more on my side in, in the 1800s. You would you'd probably agree with that, right? I mean, Robert Louis Dabney, Scrivener. Uh, I would I would say that uh, there was certainly a group that had uh, stood against them or on the opposite side of the debate. I, I, I don't know the number of scholars on each side. I don't, you know, uh, I, I don't have all that information available to me. Um, that said, uh, West Corden Hort, uh, would be, would be one type of text. What about the translators themselves that say textual variants are important to note and important to allow the readers to see them, but, but your position doesn't want that to happen. Am I, am I misunderstanding that? Well, to clear things up, quite frankly, I just, uh, even if they didn't consult 5,000 plus manuscripts, they were able to consort different Bible translations from all over the world. Uh, they had uh, receptacles that quoted different verses. So they were able to sort out uh, the textual variants. But they didn't. Uh, they, they very wisely figured out 
that uh, an error could work its way into the line of a text, and then 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 that's where they were able to go around the world to sort out these different lines. And that is why I would assert that the King James Bible is the perfect preserved word of God. Okay, and so it, let me ask you a question on that. Uh, you said they go around the world. What text type was used by the King James translators? It was the Byzantine text type. Okay, so yeah. that's not around the world. That is a very localized text type. That is not, that is not around the world. Places. How many different languages did they consult? Uh, they were consulting Latin, Syriac, Greek. Uh, they were, they were, I mean, now granted, it was around the Roman world, but I mean, they were able okay. to consort a lot of things, So right? they completely ignored the Alexandrian text type, correct? Well, there's no, there's no positive biblical mention of Alexandria, so that would be a positive uh, affirmation. So, that would be a good thing. Now it's what you call discernment. So do you know who's responsible for starting the school in Alexandria, the catechetical school in Alexandria that many church fathers came from or studied at or taught at? Uh, Origen was involved in it. Uh, and I believe it was Clement of Alexandria who was his predecessor. The Apostle Mark is actually given credit for starting the school there, just so you know, uh, which actually would line up with scripture when Mark uh, goes away from Paul and then we don't see him rejoin him. Uh, we, we actually can see that that actually lines up with scripture. Uh, are you familiar uh, can I, with can I Cyril? Chapter, can I get a chapter and verse on Mark actually founding the no, that seminary? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said that he okay. left away right. from Paul. Uh, so no, I didn't say that he founded that. Uh, so, are, are you familiar with Cyril of Alexandria? Cyril of Alexandria? Mm -hmm. uh, no. Okay, he, he defended the hypostatic union. You're familiar with what that is, of course. With what? He defended the, what? The hypostatic union. Christ being fully God and fully man. You would, oh, you would okay. defend yeah. that doctrine, would you not? Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so Cyril is known in history for defending that. Uh, what about Athanasius? I, I Athanasius? Athanasius. I, I may be mispronouncing that. I, I, I'm not a language oh. scholar either, just so you know. Athanasius uh, of Alexandria, he was known for defending the Trinity when it was being attacked in the 4th century. Uh, he came from Alexandria. So, so you just simply say, well, Alexandria wasn't mentioned in the Bible. Uh, so we're going to ignore that. Why did we ignore the manuscript that lied at Rome that actually Erasmus is responsible for letting the Western world know they exist, which is Codex Vaticanus, dated back to the 4th century? Why don't we know about it? It, was, it wasn't used. It wasn't highly regarded. Erasmus actually wrote the secretary of the library and asked him to consult it before going to his third edition. Uh, and he noted that the Kama Yohannium was not in that text, but in order to uh, appease those others who were pushing the Byzantine text, he agreed to add it to his text. Uh, Are you even Erasmus, five seven. Yes, sir. Erasmus, okay. in his own notes, did not want to add that. Well, the majority, the majority text. Well, that's that's why I'm not going to completely affirm Erasmus. I confirm but that verse is in the King James still to this day, as Erasmus put it. And it should be. So you are defending Erasmus' decision to add it, even though he said oh, that oh, he didn't believe it saying. should okay. be. 
Yeah, it should be in there. Absolutely. Why should it be in there? Because it's the preserved word of God. What is the preserved word of God? Because the King James translators were able to go to receptacles, to different Bible, uh, different Bibles from the Byzantine type text, and actually find it, they were able to confirm this. That's and not it's true. One of the greatest, That's not it's true. One sir. of the greatest verses in defense that's not true, of sir. the Trinity. Uh, that, that's just not true. They they trusted Erasmus for that. Is where they where they trusted for that text. Well, they went through and they researched everything of textual variants. They everything? weren't just going to take Erasmus' so, word for it. So did the translators of the King James, did they uh, indeed in their preface to the original 1611 say uh, that there was necessity for updating and changes in scriptures? They did say that, yes. Okay. So... Why do you deny that that's necessary? Why, at what point did the King James become inerrant and perfect? At what point? At, at 1769, Blaney's revisions? <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing that you bring up. I mean, all that was fixed was typos. They centralized punctuation and spelling. They changed uh, so 400 is, words. Over 400 words they changed. They centralized spelling and punctuation. No, they actually changed uh, what, words. What were the 400 words that were changed? I don't have a list of that, but we could definitely look that up and talk about it later. Okay, uh, because... How about, how about the Apocrypha? The Apocrypha was not removed until the 1880s, after, well after uh, Blaney's revision over 100 Never years should. earlier. Well, quite frankly, I don't have to endorse the King James translators and all of their theology to endorse the product. I endorse okay. their scholarship and their ability to judge the different textual variants and figure out what's what should the be standard? in there. What's the standard for declaring the King James as authoritative? All right, that is the Can I answer end? the question? Yes, sir, you can. Uh, the standard is that God promised to preserve his word. I can actually stand on something and say, this is the word of God. God preserved it. Uh, it's been here for 400 years. It stood the test of time. Uh, and you even admit, you claim, you go to the originals. God did not revere the originals enough to preserve the originals. And quite frankly, you are paying homage to an Alexandrian text type that is the minority text type that quite frankly uh, you have to say it's older, and the reason it's older is because nobody cared enough about it. It's useless, it's garbage, and that's why they didn't bother preserving it. I mean, Kiskendorf pulled this Sinai manuscript by his own account out of a garbage can that the monks at Mount Sinai had no regard for. All right, I'm going to go ahead and let us move on. I yes. appreciate it, Mr. Ranger. You can get all those in your closing statement, yes. brother. All right. Uh, all right, well, we are ready for closing statements. Travis, whenever you're ready. Okay, so the, the most important questions here is, uh, what did Jesus really say? What did the apostles really say? What did the prophets originally say? Uh, the reality is, uh, Mr. Rager's position doesn't actually show interest in answering those questions. Uh, the questions scare a lot of King James only us, and the reason is, is because uh, they have to hold to every single exact word as printed in the King James and claim it to be authoritative and inerrant. Um, for a King James only us to admit that even one word in the King James is incorrect, then they feel like they have to throw their whole Bible away. I don't have to stand there 
And, and, and Christians, you don't have to stand there. The reality is God did preserve his holy word. Uh, you know, I, I want to know. I want to know exactly what the original words spoken by Christ were, down to every jot and tittle. But I also recognize that translation techniques, language barriers, uh, some words can't even be translated from one language into another. So I understand that presents a barrier. Uh, so in spite of all that, I can still boldly declare that God has preserved his word in the full understanding and spirit of its original meaning in multiple languages and in multiple versions in the many language like the English language. Uh, as I mentioned in my rebuttal, uh, King James only is, uh, Jesus came out after the Pharisees. Why? Because they were more concerned about the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. And that's why I've asked so many times tonight, what about biblical theology? See, the full intent of all biblical scholars will tell you is that we must understand biblical theology. We can't even move to systematic theology, which is what Mr. Rager is wanting to jump forward to, until we prove there's an existence of a biblical theology. There is a cohesive unfolding of God's revelation to man that we see, and that has to be consistent. And what do we find? We find that modern versions, minus there are those that I've already identified that I don't consider versions of the Bible. They are uh, put out by cults and other things. Uh, but in the modern versions, as, as they're referred to, they line up with the King James, with the biblical theology. Now, does that make the King James the standard? It certainly doesn't. It makes the originals the standard. God has declared that he would preserve his word, and he certainly did. Now, make, mo make no mistake. There is an existence of open and obvious attacks on God's holy word. But the idea that textual criticism and digging deep into manuscript tradition uh, is is it's just not one of those attacks. It's not. It's a desire, the same desire the King James translators had to make sure that they took every avenue possible to find what was originally said. They themselves admitted that they that there was going to be a continued need. As I've pointed out, the Granville Sharp construction, which shows a stronger support for the deity of Christ, something Mr. Rager will agree with me that is one of the most important doctrines in biblical theology. Uh, the King James falls short of the modern versions in displaying that it, uh, concerning Titus 2.13 and 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. We talk about cohesiveness of texts. There was a study done, and uh, you can see this with Dr. James White uh, debating Dr. Ehrman. Uh, he shows, he puts the uh, West Court and Hot, uh, West Cotton Hort, sorry, uh, text, that's Alexandrian text type. He puts that up against the majority text, the Byzantine text types. He puts it up 95% word accuracy on a computer simulation. A computer did this, not people sitting there counting words. Uh, Geneva Bible. 95% of the Geneva Bible is retained in the King James Bible. The Tyndale's New Testament. 95% is retained in the Geneva Bible. Why don't we go back to the Geneva Bible. Why is it that the King James is more authoritative over the Geneva? Why is it that it's more authoritative over the bishops? Why don't we use the new King James Version, which is based off of the TR, just like the King James? Why don't we use the modern English Version, which is based off of the same text, the TR, as the King James? The answer is and must be, and the only uh, answer that a King James onlyist can give you is that because they have declared in their heart that the King James is inerrant. Uh, they don't rely on textual criticism, as, as we've already heard uh, Mr. Rager in the open dialogue. His foundational statement goes back to the King James 
is the Bible. He's also going to hold to a claim of 400 years. I've already refuted that in my opening dialogue. The King James, as it sits today, as you can buy it off the shelf, has only been around since the 1880s. Uh, thank you for the time. All right. Thank you very much, Travis. Really appreciate uh, your final statement there. Now we do move into the closing statement. Now I want to thank everyone who has been providing questions and we're going to do the very best we can. We got a lot of questions for both of you. And uh, of course, Mr. Rager, you still have your closing statement. It's six minutes. And so I want to hand things over to you and I'll just begin the timer. Six minutes once you begin to speak. All right. All right. So yeah, I mean, uh, obviously this is all a matter of faith. Uh, I have a Bible that I believe is tried and true, uh, that is the preserved Word of God, and I can actually point to something that's the foundation of my faith. Uh, my opponent here uh, keeps going back to the originals, the originals. Uh, the originals do not exist. I'll give him $10 million if he can find the originals, and quite frankly, uh, I can get $10 million a lot easier if he can get the originals because... You know what? $10 million actually does exist. And uh, also, that being said, uh, we do know that there were attacks on God's Word in the times of the apostles. The fact that his documents are older, the critical texts are older, would actually prove my point that there was far more of an interest uh, from the from the people of God to preserve the Byzantine text type uh, that gave us the King James Bible, and uh, you know what I don't I'll admit I don't know Greek, uh, it, but then again the King James translators spoke Greek. They were fluent in Greek. They debated in Greek, and they, in fact they they are far more qualified uh, to give us a Bible than any of the modern scholars that claim to be experts in a language that, that they say is dead, that has been proven to be alive, uh, but they cannot speak. Uh, all that being said, I'm not going to appeal to scholarship or consensus. I'm going to appeal to the Word of God. God promised to preserve His Word. The words of the Lord are pure words, and He'll preserve them forever. I know God's not a liar. I believe Him, and He did it in the King James Bible. And as my opponent pointed out, he claims that there were 400 words changed. Were they tenses? Uh, were they transitional words? We don't really know. That's a very high number. I would certainly be open to looking at that list, uh, but it was not furnished. Uh, now, also, I want to point out that uh, copyright issues. To get a copyright, you have to have a high percentage uh, to prove that your content is different than other copyrighted content or different than uh, content uh, that is public domain. Uh, the critical texts are copyrighted, which prove they are strongly, patently proven by the government different from the received text that God gave us. Uh, and the modern perversions are all translated. The amount of differences that you would have to produce to produce uh, patents on uh, at least 50, possibly up to 200 modern Bible perversions, it is impossible not to impact doctrine when you copyright that many Bibles and have to prove to the federal government that your Bible is that different. And again, this is a matter of faith. Uh, I, I don't stand on theological arguments. I'm not an evangelical. I'm a fundamentalist. I'm a Bible believer. And I'll just stand on the Word of God. Uh, this was tried and true. This book was preached out of for revival. 
uh, people were saved under this book. Uh, since the since people have started believing that you cannot know for sure what the Bible says in every instance, there has been a rapid falling away from the faith, a rapid decline in the faith. Uh, the term higher criticism, uh, you know what? I'm not in a position to criticize God's word. None of us are. And I have to believe that these issues were sorted out by the King James translators, where the text agreed 99%, and they were able to sort out errors that worked its way into a string. Uh, von Tiskendorf found his Sinai manuscript in a garbage can after he left the Vatican uh, in his meeting with the Vatican librarian who publicized the Codex Vaticanus. You know what? Let's put Codex Sinaiticus back in the garbage. You know, let's go. Why don't we go ahead and let the Jesuit Cardinal who was running the Vatican Library take Vatican Codex Vaticanus back to hell with him? You know what? I believe the Bible. The, the Jesuits' stated goal was to wipe out the Bible during the Reformation. And even whenever you get into the issue of translation, the King James translators were so honest, whenever something could not be translated over completely and literally, the King James translators, if they had to add a word to clear up a misunderstanding, they would put it in italics because they were honest. If they had to reconstruct a sentence uh, so it would make grammatical sense, they would put it in parentheses because they were honest. Uh, this this straight-out-of-hell uh, tradition, new tradition of dynamic equivalence, which just about all the modern Bible perversions utilize, they're not honest with you about what they change. Uh, they are interpreting uh, what they think the Bible means and telling you, thus saith the Lord. You know what? No, it wasn't thus saith the Lord. It was thus saith people who even James White says their spiritual condition does not matter. Their belief in the fundamentals of the faith does not matter. You know what? God promised to preserve his word, and I believe him. Amen right there. All right. Thank All you right. very much, Mr. Rager. So that brings us to, we've got a, a few questions. Here's my thought on that. I don't want to make, we've already, this has been a really long show. Thank you guys so much. We're, we're an hour and 22 minutes, which is good. So we're going to try to shoot through these questions in a, in a way that is, again, really useful for those who ask them. And we're going to limit you all to a minute, the person that it's uh, addressed to, and then the other individual gets a uh, gets um, 30 seconds to respond. First question to you, Mr. Rager. Mr. Rager, to prove the KJV has contradictions. Look no further than the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Just a few short chapters later, God says, go kill. You can't get more contradictory than that. Other versions say murder. Pretty simple. What say you? Well, it's quite simple, which is uh, uh, the, the, Bi uh, the Bible says that the, uh, that the word of God, the things of God are spiritually discerned, that they're foolishness to the natural man. I've heard James White make that same argument and initially it appealed to me, you know, and I felt something tingle up my leg. But you know what? It wasn't the Holy Ghost that was giving me a tingle up my leg. It was, it was my fleshly love 
for my Smith & Wesson pocket revolver that was giving me the tingle up my leg when he made that assertion because it defended my Second Amendment rights. And quite frankly, let's not strain at gnats and swallow camels. I mean, you have to compare Scripture with Scripture. There's so many times that... Uh, that different words will mean different things in different places. That's a non-issue. All right. All uh, right. Travis? I think we got a, Oh yeah. Your turn. 30 seconds right. to respond. Uh, Miss Rader, write this down because you and I agree. Uh, it's, it's not an issue in this particular uh, context is key to understanding the scriptures guys. Uh, and, and that's why it's so important that we can talk about modern versions because context actually is how we understand God's word. That's the first rule of hermeneutics. Uh, and if we don't apply that, then then we might as well just stop reading because we're going to mess it up. All right. All right. And we got a question um, from Alexander and uh, on from the Facebook feed anyway. And he asked, Travis, could you explain a little bit about reasoned eclecticism, the process of modern textual criticism? So do you, you can you explain just kind of like how we get the modern text there? I, I am not a textual critic myself. I'm not an expert in in text. I'm not a. I, I have to rely on authorities, just as Mr. Rager does. Uh, you know, so uh, the best I can explain is we've got a vast uh, library of texts available to us. We have a huge uh, manuscript tradition that's available. And scholars who are a lot smarter than me, who know a lot more about languages, take those, compare the variants isolate the variants that are not uh, that are not probable to the originals. Um, they remove variants that are not uh, integral to the, to the understanding or the text as far as its meaning. And, and then when they really end up, they don't really, really end up with a lot of variants. They, they end up with very few actually in the great grand scheme of things that actually affect uh, doctrine or affect uh, uh, what the actual meaning of the text is. And from that point, then they have to look and identify what could bring the original out most clearly. Mr. Rager. Well, quite frankly, I mean, the discovery of the papyries that back up the differences between the Codex Sinaiaticus and the Codex Vaticanus really prove my point that they are uh, Gnostic attacks on the Bible and that they were found with Gnostic Gospels such as that of uh, Thomas, uh, the Gospel of Mary, and the, and the, the Gospel of Truth. Uh, and, and there's so much bad Greek scholarship going on today. I mean, you know, I think it's just fair even just looking at this objectively. Let's have a moratorium. And uh, because because we have a good Bible, let's have a moratorium on bad scholarship and bad texts. All right. Next question to Mr. Rager. Mr. Rager, in the KJV, the reading of First John five seven is: For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Yet relatively recent scholars who are no friends of blindly following modern textual critical conclusions such as Zane Hodges, Arthur Forstad, and Maurice Robinson do not embrace this reading. Why? Because the textual evidence is so weak for this reading. Even the majority text. Mr. Rager, what specifically do you see in the textual evidence that backs the KJV reading of 1 John 5-7 that even majority text scholars do not embrace? 
It's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, uh, quite honestly, Erasmus even went back and forth on this. I know he initially did not want to add it, and he wound up saying if he could find a manuscript that uh, included it, he would uh, put it back in the text. And and quite frankly, it, it's is is uh, just as Travis said, he's had to trust scholarship. And quite frankly, if uh, I'm just going to be honest with you, I have to do the same thing. I have to trust that God's hand was providentially on the King James translators to sort through these different texts, uh, to sort through these different manuscripts, and to sort through uh, these different uh, translations in the different languages uh, from the Roman world at the time. And, uh, and, and there is a parallel text. Uh, in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I, you know, I believe that the Word is in heaven. That Word is Jesus. All right. Travis. Yeah, I think you have to go back to the trusted scholars on that. In, in no text uh, prior to 800 included that text. Uh, the Greek manuscripts were just not supportive of that text. And now the majority of Byzantine texts do not support that reading. Uh, that's that's one of the most obvious to all scholars that it doesn't belong there. Uh, does it cause a problem with biblical theology? No, it doesn't. I don't have a problem with it being there on that issue, but I do have a problem with it being there that it's not originally supposed to have been. All right. All right. And actually, actually, two I, more questions. Oh, yeah. yeah I have a good, good. question okay. for both of you. So uh, the King James debate that we're having tonight usually deals with the New Testament. I want to ask both of you guys, how do you or how do you know and how do you believe that the Old Testament is true? We'll go with Mr. Rager and then with Travis. How do you know and believe the Old Testament is true? Well, I want to I want to start off by saying archaeology uh, proves, continues to prove, and will continue to prove that the Old Testament is true. Uh, but that being said, I believe it's true because God said it's true. Uh, and, and the Masoretic texts were very carefully preserved uh, by the uh, ancient scribes. And for all their problems, I thank God that they did preserve those texts. And I mean, uh, <laughs> and quite frankly, uh, I know that the Old Testament is true because it did prophesy Jesus. And Jesus came, he sought me, and he bought me. How else can I believe it? Because Jesus told me to believe it, and Jesus died for me. Right, thank you. Travis, go for it. You have a minute as well. Well, certainly God declared his word to be true. Um, and then there's things that we look at as far as measuring that, of course. Uh, in Romans, uh, one of the biggest reasons, you know, Paul makes it clear we're without excuse. Why? Because look at creation and all the things that God's sh God has shown us. Uh, you know, more importantly, we have a very foundational, presuppositional phrase uh, that opens the scriptures in the beginning God. It's the understanding that there is a pre-existent one. That's our presupposition, that God exists, and then he declares that he's going to reveal himself to mankind. Uh, on top of that, we can also look and see that uh, Christ and the apostles actually quote the Old Testament. Interestingly enough, they don't always quote the Hebrew. Sometimes they quote the Septuagint. And when you look at that, there's actually textual variants even there. Now, does that mean that Christ was a liar because he quoted the Greek that didn't perfectly line up with the Hebrew? No, it means Christ is true. And he understood and shared with his disciples that it was the meaning of the text that is important in who his father was and who our God is.
All right, we're gonna do one more question here. We're gonna do it to Travis, and then we're gonna go ahead and end because I think you've, Mr. Ranger, you've had a lot of questions shot at you, <laughs> and uh, we'll be glad if you would like, because uh, we didn't get to all of them. I'll be happy to email you a copy of those things that we didn't get to if you'd like, uh, just so you can see. Um, I don't know if that's okay. something you want to do, maybe as a follow up to this, but uh, Travis, we'll end with your question here. If two people using the same hermeneutic read two different versions the king james version and the niv or another version all things being equal would they have the same doctrine yes they would if we follow uh and there's about 16 different rules to hermeneutics and i don't have time to go through all those but let me just use one key phrase and this is most central to uh, biblical theology, a Christocentric hermeneutic. And that means we're looking for Christ in all things in Scripture. We're pointing, we recognize that all of God's unfolding revelation to mankind, his progressive revelation that he's given to us, point to Christ. Uh, when we look at a Christ-centered view of the Scriptures, uh, yes, of course, I've already mentioned, there are, there are versions that should not be called versions. But generally speaking, when we look at modern versions alongside the King James, you're going to see the same unfolding doctrines. You're going to see the deity of Christ. You're going to see the Trinity. You're going to see salvation by faith, uh, you know, through grace. Uh, uh, you're going to see uh, just all the foundational doctrines that we hold to as believers. Um, so, no, you're not going to see a difference. All right, Mr. Rager. Uh, well, something interesting about the NIV, if you look up uh, the term mornings, uh, morning star in the NIV, uh, it says that uh, the, the morning star was cast out of heaven for trying to rebel against God. As the King James clarifies uh, in Isaiah, uh, that is Lucifer, that is Satan. But the NIV goes on to say that the morning star is our reward in heaven. So Satan is our reward in heaven? That doesn't make much sense. Or did Jesus get cast out of heaven for trying to overthrow God? Alright, well that is going to wrap up our debate and our questions. Mr. Rager, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Travis, I want to mm -hmm. thank you so much. Guys, it is evident that you have prepared. We want to encourage everyone listening, everyone who's watched the live feed, to share this, like, tag, you're it, the podcast, and be sure to do some research on your own. I mm -hmm. hope that you have been given some things to wrestle with. So, we're going to go ahead and let you go, Mr. Rager, uh, and uh, I'll let Adam do that, and then we'll kind to close on out the show but thank you very much Pleasure, mr sir. rager all right yeah thank all you right. sir and we'll all get right, in contact you. about take care now. Thank you, uh, you too man nice to meet you sir uh, you too all right all well, right that is it travis Gosh, first debate. That is awesome. I am really thankful. Yeah, we like to uh, take these new uh, Missouri Baptists. Ever since we became new Missouri Baptists, I was the first to go. And then uh, we've had a couple other guys on. And then finally, we get the Dave Mono Mono in December going to have his debate here on the podcast, too. Right. So we'll have all us newbies on here uh, doing our first debate. You know, or, like, you hadn't had a first debate, but you've had a debate finally on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, it'll be good. I haven't done one yeah. yet on the podcast so, directly. Cool. So, well, thank yeah. you for all all your hard work man yeah, brother. Um, really appreciate I, it. I liked what you what you brought to the party and i hope that this uh and ends up just being uh awesome and exhort exhortation to the saints in this issue the composure that they both had beautiful and we thank you again uh, just for coming down here into the studio tonight 
Yeah, guys, thank you for watching. We appreciate it. So with thank that said, this is going to close up. <laughs> yeah, this is the Tag Your It podcast, and that was just, is God's word most effectively preserved in the King James version of the Bible? So I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. We got and I'm Travis. Soli. Deo. Gloria.